Brown. This week it's Tim Burton. Uh, not really, though. Okay. <laughs> Don't get too excited. From 2 Timothy. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that is in your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And I pray, Lord God, that you would anoint our ears to hear what you want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me also encourage you to come see the best Christmas pageant ever uh, this afternoon at 3.30. I'm proud of this show. And it, it's, not just a, it's not just a delightful show. It's got a oomph. It's got a punch to it as well. Uh, somebody said something last week about inviting people to come during this season when you actually have their ear. This is, this is an excellent thing to bring them to. Uh, the good old days. What a weird concept that is. I mean, when were they? Let's, let's look at some. Maybe like, you know, 2,000 years ago. Like right before Christ was coming. Prophet Isaiah says that he was like a root out of dry ground. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Now we get the tender shoot thing because he came as a little baby. Came as a little baby born to parents who had no money, no power, no influence. They weren't able to, to give him the best things in life as it were. All the advantages of, of, uh, and prerogatives of wealth and power. Uh, even as a little baby, even as an infant, uh, a king not five miles away tried to kill him. That's a, that's, a, that's a tender shoot. But what I want to look at today is the conditions of the ground into which he came. The conditions of the world into which he was born. Uh, politically, Rome was in control. The Senate and people of Rome is what that stands for. And while some stability and ease of travel was, was brought about, it came with a heavy, heavy hand at that point in time. Over in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a, a vision where he's shown the, the kingdoms, the empires of the world. And when he gets to Rome, uh, it's, it's a fourth beast that he sees. And this is what it has to say about Rome. There before me was a fourth beast terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Taxation without representation, to be sure. <laughs> In fact, not only that, uh, it wasn't just the, the, the Senate or the, or the emperor or the king who would decide how much taxes you pay. The tax collector would decide how much taxes you paid because they wanted to add a, a little bit on top of that. A Roman soldier could force a man to carry his load for him for one mile. And when you actually think about that, that would really come out to two miles because you had to go back to where you were to begin with if you, weren't, if you didn't happen to be going that guy's way. Uh, that was something he could, if you weren't a citizen of Rome, 
then that could be done to you. I mean, imagine if, if um, you know, like the police could pull you over just at any time and, and keep you there. Oh, wait, they can. Uh, but <laughs> that was for Adam's benefit. Uh, but it's not as bad, not as bad as it was in Roman days. The distribution of wealth is greatly imbalanced, causing mass poverty among the people. Justice was reserved only for the rich and the powerful with, with punishments that, that were being meted out that seemed to far outweigh the crimes that were being done. That was the political environment, the, the social environment into which Jesus came. And then there's the religious environment that was there in Judea, Judaism at the time. Uh, the religious establishment of that day had largely bought into the world system. It was motivated by profit and material wealth. That's why, uh, that's why Jesus cleansed the temple. He didn't cleanse the temple because they were selling stuff. It actually started out as a good thing. Because if you needed to bring your sacrifice to the temple and, and you, you had a lamb, a spotless lamb, but you lived 70 miles away, you couldn't just throw it in the pickup truck and, and you know, in a couple of hours be there. No, it was, it was quite a chore to make that happen. And so the law allowed for you to sell that animal and bring the money to the temple and buy an animal that was acceptable. So it was really a service to the people until somebody figured out, hey, we're the only ones who can decide whether an animal is acceptable or not, so maybe we ought to get a little fee for selling the right kind of animal. And, hey, it's going to require uh, temple currency to buy the animal. Uh, you can't just buy it with regular money. We need to get a little fee for exchanging this currency. And you know what? Maybe we need to get a big fee. And maybe our cousins over here who are selling the animals need to get a big fee for their animals, a little premium going there. They were ripping the people off. That's why Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you've turned this into a house of merchants. He said, you've turned it into a den of robbers. That's what you've done. So that was the, was the, that was the uh, religious establishment of the day. It was motivated by profit and material wealth. It was motivated by political considerations. The leader's stand against Jesus wasn't based on fear of Rome, uh, was based on fear of Rome and fear of loss of public support and not on the fear of the Lord. Over in John chapter 12, when Jesus entered uh, Jerusalem at the triumphal entry, he says this, the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It wasn't a question of whether he might be right. It wasn't a question of, you think he might be the Messiah? It wasn't a question of, did God send him or not? It was a question of, he's becoming more popular than us. And that's going to undercut our authority and our strength. John chapter 11, Caiaphas was speaking to the council about Jesus, and he said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, wouldn't that be terrible? And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation as if in this man's mind the Romans had the authority to take away the temple. The Romans had the authority to take away God's people. If we let him go on like this, like what? You mean like healing sick people? Feeding hungry people? Teaching and demonstrating love? If we, if we let this kind of stuff happen, we're going to be in trouble with the authorities. 
And then the verse that really caps it all off, the leaders you know, were quite comfortable with letting Pilate, using Pilate, to rid them of their problem. But over in uh, John chapter 19, when Pilate is having his back and forth with them, saying, uh, trying to release Jesus, ultimately the trump card they played was they said, this man claims to be a king. And if, if, if he claims to be a king, then he's against Caesar. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar's. And Pilate said, well, what, should I, should I kill your king? And the religious leaders, the high priest said, we have no king but Caesar. Wow. Such was the world that awaited the birth of Christ. I mean, it's, it's no wonder that they didn't recognize God when he stood right in front of them. But the darkest hour is right before dawn, and it really is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, the Red Sea didn't part until the Israelites had their back to the sea and, and the army charging them on the other side. Yeah. Jacob didn't find out that Joseph was, the, was the, 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 the ruler of the land of Egypt until he was brought to the point where everything is turned against me. Joseph is dead. Simeon's in prison. You're going to take Benjamin away from me. I'm not going to see him again. We've got famine in the land. This is just terrible. Bam. Oh, Joseph isn't dead. Simeon isn't going to stay in prison. Benjamin's alive. I, I'm, I, everything is taken care of for my family. And so the darkest hour is right before dawn, and into this dark place, to us, a child was born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will not stand for election in four years. He will rule forever. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Light has dawned. And so the shepherds came and heard the news. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Who saw this coming? I mean, who's, who really saw this coming in the midst of this darkness? Obviously, Isaiah did. But I mean, who really saw it in the midst of that dark hour and that dark place. I mean, people had heard about Messiah. Some had their theories, but this. Advent, as many of you know, is not just about looking back at the first coming of Christ, the birth of Christ, His revelation into the world originally. It's also about looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And so... Speaking of the good old days, let's look at the last days. Because they're the ones that we're in presently. What do they look like? What, what would things be like now? Well, let's go back. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. You know, one of the things that really nails me when I, when, I, when I read this list from time to time is that thing, disobedient to their parents, because I know that most people 
out there and, and even in the church would kind of look at that and go, well, that's not so bad. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, slanderous. Oh, you mean saying bad things about people. I don't say bad things about people. I just tell the truth. <clears throat> he's, he's meddling now. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Uh, you know, I'm glad that Nashville has the Titans. I'm glad that they've got a, an NFL team, puts us on the map. Uh, but eight weeks out of the year, eight weeks out of the year, brother, I, you know, I, can't, I won't be able to come to church today. We got tickets. And the game starts at we have a nine o'clock service. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, politically, the situation currently, the world. You know, I'm not just talking about our country. We're so myopic that it's hard for us to think of anybody existing beyond these shores. But 96% of the people for whom Christ died live out there somewhere. And where to even start? I mean, obviously, I know where I'm going to start. But it's sitting down and looking at this going, where, where do you even start at, at the world and its condition now? Hunger. One person in eight chronically suffers from hunger. Most are children. In fact, every 3.6 seconds, someone dies of starvation. That means during the hour and a half of this service, 1,500 people die of starvation. Chronically undernourished children are sick an average of 161 days a year. That's almost two weeks a month. You ever had a sick child? I've had a sick child, yeah. Uh, Puts a cramp in your style. Puts, puts a little cramp in your ability to go do things like go to work or study for a test or do some other things. Your child's sick. You know. While hunger has decreased over the last decade in Asia and Latin America, it has increased greatly on the continent of Africa. And it's also increased in uh, places like Europe and um, North America, which would be like where we live, increased in the last day. People aren't hungry because we don't have food. People are hungry because we're lovers of money and rash and, and conceited and arrogant. I said that one out of eight people suffer from hunger in the world. One out of eight children go to bed hungry every night in the United States of America. War. Right now, over in the Central African Republic, I, I was reading the, about this yesterday. Ordinary people are streaming into the airport in uh, uh, Bangui. I didn't even know there was a Bangui, and I'm sure most of you didn't either. Streaming there because of the roaming bands of, of, of uh, uh, with machetes and guns going into houses and killing people. And they figure if we can go to the airport, we'll be safe there. Syria. Chechnya, Libya, 
United States of America. You, know, you don't stop your car at a red light on 8 Mile in Detroit. And there are a lot of places that aren't really safe. Slavery. There are more slaves, numerically there are more slaves in the world today than there ever has been in the history of mankind. But we've abolished slavery, of course. Broken homes, broken hearts seems to be the order of the day. Uh, uh, depression, suffering from anxiety, uh, uh, drug addiction. Uh, you, you, we're a nation of drug addicts, world of drug addicts. Now, I'm not saying all this to, uh, to cheer you up at Christmas time. Saying this because it's dry ground. It's dry ground. And, and all the while we worship at the shrine of materialism and success, which brings us to the religious climate, the religious situation, the religious establishment of the day has largely bought into the world system. Every week... Uh, being motivated by, by profit and material wealth. Every week I get glossy, uh, I'll usually get two or three glossy invitations to uh, uh, sign up for a few hundred dollars or sometimes a few thousand dollars to go to the latest conference to learn how to get all of the latest secrets to build a, a big church. It's kind of going, wow. And... None of the people that they're advertising on there that are going to be speaking at this conference, uh, none of them pastor a church or lead a church of under 1,000, 2,000, you know, the brother so-and-so. And, you know, i got nothing against big churches, but what we have fostered a, um, a mindset. We fostered a mentality where we measure success the same way the world measures success. I was reading this last week. I was reading Victor Hugo, and he, he, uh, he, he came up with a quote that just blew me away. I went, okay, i gotta, I got to keep this. Success is a very hideous thing. Its false resemblance to merit deceives men. Let that sink in for a minute. We fostered a, a theology that allows us to admire the flash and the dash while despising small things. Even though the Word of God says, do not despise the day of small things. We, we fostered a, uh, a theology within the church that allows us to not feel responsible to be our brother's keeper. Because our brother's, it's his fault that he's where he is. He's only poor because he wants to be. Uh, it's his fault that's where he is because if he had enough faith, he wouldn't be there. It says in the scripture that in God's presence is a fullness of joy. But sometimes I got to feel like in the midst of all that fullness of joy, he's got to see some of this stuff and there's got to be some tears. It's just got to be some, some, some grieving, some brokenness for what has happened to his bride. We would... We would do well to, to heed the words of Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol. You know, you go back and you read some of those things. Go, oh, Christmas Carol, I love that story. Have you ever really listened to what he has to say? What he says to Ebenezer Scrooge, who he calls man of the worldly mind. Well, that's a pretty broad net right there. 
when he's asked about the chains that he wears and the invisible chains that Scrooge wears, he says, I wear the chains I forged in life. I made them link by link and yard by yard. I girded them on of my own free will. Of my own free will, I wore them. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and the length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago you have labored on it since it is a ponderous chain. You can't see it, but it's weighing you down. Motivated by material wealth and profit and motivated by political considerations. You're going to love this. I was trying to find a sign to put up there. And uh, so I finally put this up because I saw it and I went, oh, wow. Go out and vote future in our hands. Now, I'm not telling you to not vote. You need to vote. That is, uh, that is your duty as a citizen of this country. You need to vote your convictions. But the future is not in your hands. And if you're voting because you think the future is in your hands, then you're messed up. If the future is in your hands, you got a problem. You got a big problem. The future belongs to God. The, the, the future is in, in God's hands. Uh, the church has discovered, uh, much like talk radio, that if you espouse the right politics, you can, you can draw a devoted crowd, a crowd devoted to a lot of causes, some of them good, some of them not so good, but none of which are the cause of Christ. We look to our guns for protection. We look to our courts for justice. We look to the free market for our prosperity. And we look to our politicians to be sure it says, in God we trust on our money. Not because we do, but because it makes us feel better that it's on our money. Because we're trusting in these other things. Only God can protect you. If he can protect, if he can protect his, his infant son from Herod, who's trying to kill him just a few miles away, he can protect you. If he can protect his nation at the shores of the Red Sea, he can protect you. Only God brings justice. He's the judge of the earth, and he's the only one who has, who has the, the, the wisdom to do it. Only God can bring prosperity. He lifts one up. He puts down another. He's the only one who can do that. You say, well, you know, I, I, preacher, you need to, I've, and I've had people tell me this, you need to tell, you need to be sure people know how to vote on these things. Let me tell you how to vote. Love one another. That's my advice. As you go into the polling place, love one another. Say, well, come on, that's just, that's, that sounds like Jesus. Sounds like one of the Beatles. I mean, you know, love one another. And here's what I want you to do because, oh, ooh, this, is, this is the best idea I've had in a month. And if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll do it, I mean, we can rock this world. Find somebody that you vehemently disagree with politically and love them. 
Just, just love them. You know, if you're a flaming liberal, find you a redneck, they're going to have to peel my cold dead fingers away from my magnum whatever thing here before they'll get it away from me. You know, find you one of them. If, and it, you know, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a, 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 well, I don't know if redneck, but, you know, if you're a, that side, you know, go get you a flaming liberal and just love on them. And here's the thing, you know, maybe they'll change. Maybe you'll change. It doesn't matter. But I'll, I'll promise you this. If you, if you want to change their minds, if you want to change their hearts, you'll change them a whole lot more by loving on them than by arguing with them. None of them will change their minds by arguing with you. But if they actually get to know somebody who thinks differently from the way they do, and they actually begin to know, this is a human being who actually loves me. The world doesn't understand this. And unfortunately, the church doesn't understand this. But we can change that. One one person at a time, we can change that. Is there any real doubt how unlikely it is that the church would recognize its king if it came and he came and stood right before them today? Such is the world that awaits the advent of Christ. But yes, the darkest hours right before the dawn. Last week, we looked at Jesus' assignment when he first came, which was to preach good news to the poor and freedom for the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And we know that he stopped reading right before he, he, it says, and to de declare the year of God's, the day of God's vengeance. It's the year of God's, uh, the day of God's vengeance. But that's, that's just a little bitty interlude there and then it goes into another passage that I think maybe has to do with his second coming which is this will be his assignment to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair hallelujah for the Lord our God the almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has, has made herself ready. I don't despair at the gathering darkness. It has to be. It has to happen. I, I'm seriously not telling you statistics and, and, and saying these things so that you can kind of go home and go, oh, man, things are so bad. No, Jesus said when that happens, the proper response for you is look up. It's redemption time. Your, your redemption is drawn nigh. Even as the lightning flashes from the east unto the west, he will come and every eye will see him. The evil one will be, will be vanquished. The rotten, and it is so rotten, world system will collapse. Righteousness and, and justice will prevail. Mercy and, and love will not just be a platitude anymore, but it, they will triumph. They will be a, a hardcore reality. The true longing of every heart will come to pass. As we come into this season, we should, I, we should understand that when we say, come thou long expected Jesus, don't, don't project it back there. Project it now. Come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. And, and as things, as dry land, as things, darkness gathers, I will stay 
Though the world round me falls, lift up your name as the darkness falls. I will wait and hold fast to your word. Heart on my heart, your heart, and my eyes on yours. I mean, these things that we're singing, they're so rich. They're so full of meaning. They're prayers. They are the prayers of the longing heart of God's people in a dry and weary land. Oh, find you somebody you don't like and love them. Would you stand with me? Mm-hmm. Well, those who are going to minister, come, come forward at this time. <laughs> oh. Justin, you messed me up. I mean, I hope, I hope Jessica gets all over you about that women keeping silent verse. That, that just took so much guts and so little brain. That was... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying that so you ought to remember it in case any of you were mad at me. Uh, we're going to, uh, if you're here today and you need prayer, the devil doesn't take the holidays off. And uh, as Lee Thin was sharing, it's not just single parents that this can be a hard time of year for, a uh, hard season for. You come. God loves you. He's, he's got something good for you. And, and I, hope that, I hope that you've got somebody picked out that you want to pray with. And I hope that when they get down here, they're already taken and you have to go to somebody else. Because it's not about them. It's about God. What He can do for you. And if you, if you don't need to come, let's worship for a few moments together. Set up an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to work.
say one more thing um, something about what Lethan said and when she said it it just it caught me I totally understand why she said it completely understand when she said uh, this is not charity and it isn't but when did charity become a bad word when did it become something that we didn't embrace as being something beautiful Christ-like. Oh, you know, we, let's start a revolution here, guys. Let's just change our way of thinking, and we'll just infect the whole church. I mean, the whole church, not this one, the, the whole thing. Yeah. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world, Show the beauty and love of the Father. May that love be accepted in you and manifested in you and overflow to those around you in this dark, dry world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.